Today's scripture reading comes from John 10, verses 1 through 18. Hear the word of the Lord. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheephold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. It's really good to be with you all this morning. I'm Ben. I'm one of the pastors at the downtown campus here. And before we begin, I want to pause for just a quick moment and pray together for our community and for our mission as a church. And so just real quickly, would you bow your head with me? Father, in your wisdom and design, We who follow your son Jesus are citizens of heaven, longing for a reality still hidden. And citizens of this world too, the world Jesus loves and died to save, but is still broken and groaning for redemption. We groan now for the ongoing injustice against the unborn in our nation. We are broken by the brokenness of your world and pray for healing, justice, and mercy for the most vulnerable. And we pause to pray for our states, Kansas and Missouri. As our political system plays out, give wisdom and insight to our leaders to do justice and to love mercy and to fulfill their responsibilities with integrity and excellence. And give us your church compassion and grace, Father, and strength to continue our mission. No matter what laws pass or do not pass, your kingdom will come 
and your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we ask in particular this morning for your continued protection for the unborn and for families in crisis because you love them both and may your church love them too. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Today we are continuing through the Gospel of John in our series, Signs of Life. And this morning, we arrive at a beautiful statement from Jesus. And this is where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. This might be familiar to you. And maybe it's bad form to start off a sermon by quoting someone else, but I'm going to do it anyways. Um, I want to help us understand Jesus' purpose for using the metaphor of a shepherd and a sheep. Here is what the acclaimed author, Frederick Buchner, said about God being the good shepherd and us being his sheep. He said, like sheep, we get hungry and hungry for more than just food. We get thirsty for more than just drink. Our souls get hungry and thirsty. There is nothing that the world has to give us. There is nothing that we have to give each other even that ever quite fills them. But once in a while, that inner emptiness is filled even so. By saying that God is like a shepherd, it means like a shepherd, he feeds us. He feeds that part of us which is hungriest and most in need of feeding. Can you get on board with this fact that you have something innately within you? There's this deep part of your core and your innerness that only God can feed. If so, if you can get on board with that, then there's two questions I want to ask you. And the first is, how aware are you of your spiritual hunger? When I read this passage, John 10 this week, it caused me to do a bit of self-reflection. And the question that kept coming into my head was, how aware am I of my own spiritual hunger? If I'm honest with you, I think most of the time, on a day-to-day -day basis, I live with either a great unawareness of my need for spiritual nourishment, or I live just distracted from it. And this happens most when I'm living in a perpetual state of busyness. For example, when I get up in the morning and the first thing I do is check my email. Or whenever I'm in between things, I choose to listen to an audiobook instead of taking the advantage of just the margin of my day to settle into my own soul. Or even when I want to rest, I rest by always entertaining myself with something on a screen. In other words, it's rare that I take time to even process my consistent need for spiritual nourishment. And then to go one step further, it's a whole other thing to actually spend time getting spiritually nourished. When I think of the amount of time I sit to pray deeply or to consider God's words, what I'm really doing is just dipping my toe into the living waters God might have for me. So with all that said, the more than I'd like to admit, I live in a state of distraction which numbs my spiritual hunger. So if that's my reality, then what necessarily follows is this. If I think that I have a spiritual hunger and thirst that I haven't quite paid attention to, or that's just lying latent within me, or if I actually sense that there's something in me I can't quite satisfy, then there's another question. This is the second question. How do I get spiritual nourishment? How do I get to that place where I'm spiritually nourished? How do I satisfy that spiritual hunger that lies within my deep? Well, if you look at our passage today, Jesus says there's one person. There's one being. 
There's one place that you can go to feed that part of you that's most in need of feeding. There's only one person you can trust to do that work. And that person is Jesus himself. What Jesus is saying is that you need a good shepherd. You need a good shepherd. Because like sheep, you can't do it on your own. You need someone to call out to you, to guide you, to care for you, to focus his time on you, to direct you with his voice to what will ultimately satisfy you. And maybe you're here this morning because you already sense that is true about you. Maybe you sense there is something in you that needs to be filled and you realize that you can start by getting it here. Maybe you are here because you've always thought that, but lately you've started to question the reality that God can actually meet that part of you. Wherever you are, whatever place you might be in your spiritual journey today, we are going to see that we need a good shepherd and we're going to look at three traits of Jesus that make him the good shepherd that we need. Before we get to those, I just want to refresh you real quickly with where we've been in the Gospel of John. One of the significant patterns of the Gospel of John are these seven statements that Jesus makes that starts with the words, I am. So far, we've gone through this series. We've seen that Jesus says he's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. And then in this passage, we get to the third where he says, I am the door or I'm the gate. But not only do we get to the third, we also get to the fourth statement. And Jesus says this about himself, I am the good shepherd. And if we're paying attention to the literary patterns that occur in the original language, this is the statement that lies at the middle, right? It's the fourth of the seven. It's the center of all those seven statements. And it could likely be said that this fourth statement is perhaps the most important. Okay, let's look at the first way Jesus says he's a good shepherd. Let me read some of what Jesus has to say at the start of chapter 10 for you. You can follow along with me on the screen behind me. These are the first five verses. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. The short bit I want to pull from this, this first part of chapter 10 is in verse 3. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls to his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. He calls them by name. Here's a question. What's in a name? What does it mean to know someone by their name? Names, in short, are symbols of intimacy. Let's be honest, you can't actually really know someone if you don't know their name. There's a reason why we as a downtown team, we spend so much time working to remember people's names because we want people to know that we're actually attentive to who they are and that they belong in this family. And they really can't start, anyone can't really start to feel intimacy if people don't know their name. But names are more than that. Names aren't just the beginning of closeness or the beginning of togetherness. Names are a window into the depth of what it means to know someone and be in a relationship with another person. That means there's power in speaking someone's name. Let me give you an example. 
When I call my mom, there's something about her answering the phone and saying, hi, Benny, how are you? There's something about that that carries so much weight for me. Why? Because she's the only one that can really say my name like that. There's a depth of relationship that is embodied when she just simply says my name to me in only the way that she can. This happens in any relationship. It happens with your spouse. Only they can say your name. And it means something different. It happens with your best friends. I imagine, too, for some of us in here, there's people that we have lost, and we've given, we would give a lot to hear them say our names again. Names are a window into deep, personal, relational closeness. We hear our name from someone's mouth, and immediately we can feel a sense of being seen and soothed and safe and secure. And that is true not just with people in our lives, Here's the turn, it's true with God too. One of my spiritual heroes is this guy by the name of Brennan Manning. You might have heard me talk about him before. Brennan Manning was the author of the Ragamuffin Gospel. If you've ever read that book, if you haven't, pick it up, put it on your bookshelf, read it sometime. It's a book about God's grace. And Brennan has a fascinating testimony. So I'll tell you a little bit about him. He was a Catholic priest for a lot of his life, for a decent amount of his life. He lived among the poor. He worked transporting water on a donkey. He was a mason's assistant, a dishwasher in France. He was imprisoned by choice in Switzerland to minister among criminals. He lived in a cave for over half a year in a desert in Spain. All of this would make him sound super spiritual, but Brennan had some real struggles that he dealt with throughout his life. And this makes him a very relatable person. He struggled with depression, and alcohol, and more. He ended up leaving the priesthood and got married, and that marriage didn't end up the way that he would have hoped. And after all of his complexity, Brennan taught the message of God's grace for Christians who felt like they were the ones who didn't have it all together or didn't measure up. He calls those Christians who spiritually feel like they don't measure up. He says, those of us who feel like our cheese is falling off our cracker. That's what he says. But one of the little-known stories about Brennan's life is that when he became a Christian, when he accepted Jesus into his life, he was already in seminary. <laughs> he had already been enrolled in seminary. He admits in his autobiography that it wasn't until his conversion experience in seminary that the, the word God carried with it more weight than words like meaning and purpose. This is what he said was his conversion experience. He was about to unenroll in seminary because he was like, I just can't do this anymore. This ain't for me, but on his way to drop out, he decided to do one last thing for God. That's how he puts it. He's like, I, I'm going to do one last thing for God. So we went to the chapel to go through the stations of the cross. And at the 12th station of the cross, which is the crucifixion, that's an example up there, Brennan kneeled down in front of the painting. He looked up at this painting of Jesus, and he read the liturgy. Look at Jesus' blood running down his side, which was shed for you. Look at Jesus' eyes which look on you with compassion. And it was at this moment where Brennan says he first encountered the heart of God for him. Here's how he records it. The next thing I knew, it was a few minutes after three o'clock in the afternoon. Just what happened in those three hours. For three hours, I found myself in terra incognita, 
It was the very heart of Jesus Christ, the place of unconditional love. To have experienced just the terrain would have been sufficient, but the more came. Jesus called my name. The experience was like roiling waves, spring storms, and bursting dams all in the same breath. Like the prophet Isaiah, it left me a man undone. The child who heard, boys don't cry, throughout his life was the man sobbing uncontrollably. It seemed the only response I could make to so great a gift that Jesus had died on the cross for me and then called me by name. Do you know what changed Brennan? It wasn't necessarily this ecstatic experience, whatever you want to call it, it was the feeling of God's unconditional love for him. No, it wasn't. It was that Jesus called him by his name. My point here is, just, is not just that God knew Brennan's name, it's what it represents. I said before that someone speaking our name is a window into the depth of relationship. And for Brennan, God knowing his name, speaking his name, was the ultimate experience of being known and loved. Do you know that you have a shepherd who knows you by name? The same God that spoke the words, let there be light, and then there was light. So yes, that God who named light and then created it with his own mouth. That same God calls to you by your name. He speaks your name. God calls out to you by your name and here's what it means. He knows you. When he calls out to you by your name, that is the closeness that you and you alone share with him. Only he and you share that relational depth. Only you hear your name from him like that. Think about when someone close to you calls you by your name and the intimacy that represents. How much more powerful is it when the God of the universe says your name? If you are his, that is a relationship you will share for eternity. God calling you by your name. In verse 14, Jesus says it in a different way. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. You know what I love about this portion of scripture? And this is something that I think maybe we tend to overlook or just brush over. If you open your Bible, and you have a red letter Bible, there's something you will notice about this chapter that we're in this morning. It is blood red. <laughs> Everything is red. Chapter 10 is basically all red letters, and what does that mean? Well, it means this isn't someone else telling us about who God is. This is God himself telling us that he knows us. And yes, I know we can technically say that about all of Scripture, right? I get that, but hear me out. These words, these words come from the mouth of Jesus, and Jesus himself is saying to you, I know your name. I know your name. And if you are mine, then I know you know my voice, and I know you hear me call your name. That is a relationship and intimacy that only you and the God who created you and saved you experience together. And perhaps you are carrying a lot with you as you walked in here this morning. Maybe you just feel distracted and scattered. Maybe you are overwhelmed, maybe you are discouraged, or maybe you are struggling with your own relationship with yourself. Maybe you carry shame from your past or your present. If any of those are you, or if none of those are you, 
Let me ask you a question. Can you trust yourself and can you trust all that you're carrying to the God who calls to you by your name? Can you trust yourself to the God who knows you and will always know you with an eternal intimacy? Jesus says you need a shepherd, a good shepherd. You need one who can meet that spiritual hunger that nothing else can fill. And that one person who can do it is him. He is the good shepherd and he knows you. He knows you by your name. Let me remind you what Jesus says one more time. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. And Jesus continues, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. You need a shepherd and you have a shepherd. He knows your name. Jesus doesn't stop there. <laughs> he continues. He continues on. He essentially says too, you also need a good shepherd that protects you. Look at how Jesus continues in verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay my life down for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will also listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There is so much goodness packed into this group of verses. Here's where I want to start. Let me read verses 12 and 13 for you again. I know it's a lot of scripture, but hear me out. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, he who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches him, snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Go with me. For the hired hand, when the wolf comes and he snatches the sheep and scatters them, it's not personal. It's impersonal. What Jesus is saying is this is an embodiment of the phrase we've all heard before. It's just business. It's not personal. You see, all the hired hand cares about is his own safety, not the safety of the sheep. He doesn't want to get eaten. Again, it's not personal. It's just a job. Jesus says, I am not the hired hand. That is not who I am. Instead, Jesus says, I am the shepherd of the sheep. The sheep are mine and I am theirs. For Jesus, the safety and care of his own is incredibly personal. He has personal investment in the care, safety, and well-being of his sheep. He has so much personal investment, in fact, that he goes so far to choose to lay down his life for their benefit. But I think what Jesus is saying here is more than just that and runs deeper than that. This is a peek behind the curtain of Jesus' heart. Keep going with me here. 
Protecting his sheep is personal to Jesus. And what that reveals to us is this. It reveals his love to us. The philosopher Simone Weil once described love in a very simple way. She said, love is focused attention. When you love something, when you love your work, you are dedicated to it and you focus your attention on it continuously and often. When you love someone, you are attentive to their needs, to their feelings, to their disposition, to their comfort, to their safety, both emotional and physical. When you don't care about someone or you don't love someone or something, it doesn't elicit that kind of focused attention from you. Jesus is saying that he is focused and attentive to the well-being and the comfort and the care and protection of his sheep. He is the shepherd who is there to feed them, to guide them, to care for them, to keep them safe. Jesus' love is focused attention on those who he calls his. What is also true and what is equally astounding is that he loves those who aren't his yet. This is one of my favorite parts. He says in verse 16, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. Jesus is not just attentive to those in his fold who he is feeding, guiding, caring, and protecting. No, he is attentive to the other sheep who don't yet call him their shepherd. Jesus says, I must bring them also. He doesn't say, maybe I should bring them here. Perhaps I'll eventually get to them. I hope I'll get to them. No, no, he says, it's my duty. I must bring them here to safety also. Again, this is the incredible, outrageous love of Jesus on display. Jesus is attentive to those who don't claim him as their shepherds. You might be thinking, all this is good, Ben, this is great. Thank you, Jesus protects me, good. What is Jesus protecting me from? Well, let me do my best to answer that. Here's how I'll start. Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. No one else named him that. He called himself that. And by calling himself that, there's something Jesus wants you to know. He is completely good. He is fully good. There is no shadow side. There's no side that you can't see that will come out later to bite you. There is nothing about your shepherd that is objectively bad or unsafe. Jesus is telling you, I am completely and totally good. Jesus is objectively good. He has no flaws. And so, if you think, or I think, if you listen to the voice of your inherently and objectively good shepherd, he's inherently good, he's objectively good, he will protect you from bad, inherently flawed shepherds. In other words, he will protect you from following bad shepherds. Ones with voices that appear good at first, but there is a shadow side. He protects you from shepherds who say they can meet your needs at first, but then you realize they had a bad strategy to meet those needs, and now you are left hurt and broken and in pain. If you listen to his voice, if you listen... Jesus protects you from bad shepherds and from those things that will lead you to your destruction. Listening to his voice means following him where he leads. He's the shepherd. So that means following him into places 
into a way of living and being that he calls you to and that he has gone first. Jesus is the one who protects you. He is the objectively good and inherently good shepherd. And he protects you from bad, inherently flawed shepherds who have incomplete strategies to meet your desires and needs. Jesus is not just the good shepherd who protects you. It is personal to him. He is the good shepherd who knows you by your name. And there's one last thing. There's one last trait that we need in our good shepherd. And here it is. We need a good shepherd that holds us and never lets us go. Look with me one more time at our passage. It's been a lot of scripture. Starting this time at verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. In an article in Vanity Fair, the late night host, Stephen Colbert, once said this. <laughs> he said, do you know what believing in Jesus' death on the cross ultimately means? He said, ultimately, believing in Jesus means you can kill me, and for me, that's not death. Colbert is right. You will die, but if Jesus is your shepherd, that is not death. That is actually the beginning of life, fully joined to God himself. Jesus says it this way, I, will give them, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I am the Father, are one. No one can grab us out of his hand, or the Father's hand, because if you notice, it's the same hand. I think the picture of God holding us in his hand is in a picture of incredible tenderness and presence. That is the picture that Jesus is giving us here. There is nothing that can snatch us away. His hand is always holding onto us. If you feel afraid, if you feel weak, if you feel like you can't make sense of your life, or if you feel alone, God is saying, I am holding onto you and I will never let you go. If that is you this morning, my prayer for you is that you feel him holding you. He is there. You are safe with Jesus. Nothing can snatch you out. Even if your pile of mess ups is so big, guess what? You have a shepherd who will never wipe his hands of you. No, not the shepherd. Nothing can snatch away his sheep. He never lets them go. So as a review, Jesus is a good shepherd who we need. He holds us and never lets us go. He protects us, and he knows our name. And as we close, I want to ask you one question. Do you hear your good shepherd's voice? Do you know his voice? Because you have to follow him. So do you know his voice? 
You might be thinking, how do I know that I'm hearing his voice? How do I know that? Well, like a lot of things, hearing God's voice is hard to define exactly, but recognizing it in our experience is something we gain both in competency and in confidence over time. And what we mean in hearing the voice of God are those inner thoughts or perhaps lingering impressions that we experience from time to time. What's important for us to realize is that hearing God's voice flows from a growing and loving relationship with him. Dallas Willard in his book, Hearing God, frames it this way, and this isn't on the screen, so if you want it later, just reach out to me. We must therefore make it our primary goal, not just to hear the voice of God, but to mature as people in a loving relationship with him. Only this way will we hear him rightly. So if you are looking to grow to hear his voice, here are two things for you as we wrap up. First, if you're listening for his voice, know that it will always resonate with scripture. If you are hearing a voice that you think might be God, but it contradicts scripture, it's not God's voice. That is not the voice of your shepherd. The primary way, but not the only way God speak to us, speaks to us is in Holy Scripture. God's voice speaking to us in Holy Scripture is an important means of his communication. Paul writes, let the word of Christ dwell richly within you. And so the more we grasp God's word and we hide it in our hearts and it becomes alive in our lives, the better we're able to discern God's voice. The more we walk in the ways and direction of the Spirit, the more we will hear his voice. Those who know Jesus most intimately hear his voice most clearly. And second, if you're here this morning and you're struggling to hear his voice and you want to, here's another piece of advice for you. Turn down the noise. Let me circle back to what I talked about at the beginning. The rival to recognizing our spiritual hunger and to hear God's voice, that rival is the rival of distraction. I feel it. We live in an incredibly noisy, distracted world. Our attention is constantly being pulled in an overwhelming onslaught of information. There is so much noise and so many voices to listen to. When I played soccer in college, one of the things my coach always reminded us when we were stepping onto the pitch in big games he said was to tune out the noise of the crowd, and if we're going to listen to anything, to any voice, it needed to be his. Toning down the noise often means tuning out the other voices that are constantly redirecting us. A good question for reflection is, what in my daily life and way of living is hindering me from hearing his voice? I had a mentor... Um, who I was catching up with a while ago, and he was going through a really difficult time in his life, and he was joking about how he just is spending hours in his backyard just pacing, and then every once in a while he takes his axe and he's just chopping down trees. <laughs> That's what he was saying. Um, but he said, he said, you know what, recently uh, I've been uh, reading way more scripture, and I've been praying a lot, and I've been taking that time pacing to pray. And he goes, you know why? Because right now in my life, I need to hear my shepherd's voice. And he didn't, he didn't realize this, but what, struck out to, what stuck out to me was that at, the, at one point in his phone call, he just, he just says, and I know his voice. 
I know his voice. And there was so much confidence in that statement. I know his voice. Do you know your shepherd's voice? Are you confident that you're following the good shepherd who knows you by name, who protects you, who always holds on to you and will never let you go? Will you pray with me, please? Jesus, thank you so much that you are the good shepherds. Thank you for your words. Lord, thank you that it's not just red letters on white pages, but it's the words of life for us. Lord, we ask that we'd be sensitive to your voice. Call out to us through your Holy Spirit. Speak loudly to us, even now, and speak loudly to us throughout this week. May we have the courage to follow after you in all areas of life. Protect us and guide us. Shepherd us like only you can. Hold on to us. We love you. It's in the name of your Son, Father, and by the power of your Holy Spirit we pray these things. Amen.